You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been in a series going through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We've been teaching alongside the the same, uh, going through the same book together. So if you've been reading uh, man, it's been an awesome time. If you haven't started the reading plan, man, I encourage you to pick one up on your way out the door. Uh, but it's, it's so important for us as a church to be on the same page, reading the same words together this year. And so, uh, but man, there's so much. I'll be honest with you, it's been hard to teach through uh, because, you know, there's so much content in just one week's worth. It's like, how do you, how do you pick? How do you choose? How do you decide? Uh, because we've seen so many themes. And what I've been trying to do is, is, is kind of following some threads and, uh, especially in the beginning of the gospel. I, I'm sure you mentioned or noticed a lot of this, but there's, there's some similar things that you always notice Jesus doing. One, he's always getting in or out of a boat, is he not? Like always. It's like he goes here and then he's in a boat and then he's out of a boat and then he's in a boat and he's out of a boat. Uh, two, he's always calling out the religious people, right? You're like, oh, like that burns, right? Uh, he's always healing people continually. Like another person's sick, another person's mute, another person's lame. Like he's always healing people. Uh, he's, he's always doing, and here's a, another one that sticks out to me. Is he's always asking questions and the disciples are always asking questions. Uh, and we see like as we've been reading through Matthew, there's so much because we know that one of the key themes in Matthew is fulfillment. How Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of the Old Testament that the all of the pointings towards the Messiah, that Jesus was the complete fulfillment of that. And so we're going to look at one of the questions uh, that the disciples asked today. Uh, it's a question we all talk about. Like even on a non-spiritual level, we talk about who's the greatest. Like if I were to say who's the greatest football player who ever lived, right? Let's, let's start with basketball, okay? Basketball, who, who's the greatest? Okay, good. There's no LeBron people here. Okay, I'm just playing. Right? Jordan. Right? Hands down. We all, we all agree. Jordan, he's, he's the greatest. Okay? What about, what about football? Brady? Brady. Brady? Mm, I know Jason. I know Jason would say Brady. Uh, but no, no, you got to reach further back. Oh, no, a little bit not too far. <laughs> Joe Montana, right? Joe Montana, come on. Uh, some, some 49ers. Um, what, about, uh, what about baseball player? Ruth, right? The great Bambino. You can't get better than that. Babe Ruth. This is an easy one, hopefully. Uh, what about boxing? Uh, Tyson, really, bro? Come on. Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. Uh, now, we, even, even outside of sports, we talk, I mean, we're in the South, so we talk about barbecue. Who's got the greatest barbecue, right? Who's, who's got the, the best sweet tea? Like, what's, the, what's the, the greatest Clemson football player to ever live? Trick question, there is none. Um, so, um, hey, the Lord's been doing a work in Greenville. We have a lot of Gamecock fans, and so we're just praising God for that. Uh, but but more, than, more than just of a topic or a talent or something specific, what, what about in the summation of life, who's the greatest? Now, we're in church, so the answer is always Jesus and God, right? But, but, but if we would ask the question, like, who's the greatest? And they asked Jesus this question about who's the greatest in the kingdom? Like if, if you were to, to, to put one person, who, who is overall, who is 
the greatest. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to look at how Jesus answers this question. We're going to follow a thread. So if you brought your copy of the scripture, we're going to start in Matthew 18, and we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to go in order. Uh, but three things that, that jump out to us as we look at this idea of who is the greatest. The first thing is that great li- greatness is not determined by power, but by posture. Jesus illustrates that the idea of greatness is not based on who has power, on who has authority, on who has might, but he establishes that the greatness is established by a posture that we are to take up, that our position does it. Um, there's a, there was a competition for honor in many ancient societies. Uh, those with capital, those with money could advance economically, but if you didn't have a certain wealth, you pretty much couldn't break through uh, to, to the, the upper class, to the wealthy class. You were kind of assigned your role or your class based on your, uh, your gender, your age, your familial ties, whether or not you're royalty or not. Like that was the establishment of power. That was your position. Um, that's kind of where you live. May, may the Jewish people hope for an advanced kind of status, if you would, in the kingdom to come based on their good works. But let's look at God's word. Let's see what it says in Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Not an excuse as an adult to throw a tantrum. That's not what he's talking about, right? He said, unless you change and become like, a little, like the little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. It's not determined by might, it's not determined by power, by influence, by wealth, by status, by money, by who you know, by who your parents are. It says that the, the way that greatness is established is the posture of a child. It's taking up the lowly position and posture of a child. Uh, in ancient society, children were, were not seen of, of importance other than a, a liability of someone that you had to take care of. So he's not elevating like some prodigal or prodigal child or something that, that's, that's amazing. He's, he's, he's bringing in the, the least of these in front. Um, children are not threatening. Like you, you've never been terrified to meet a child in a back alley somewhere, right? Unless they're riding on a, like a tricycle, you've seen too many horror movies, something like that. But, but it's not, a, a, a child is not threatening. They don't use intimidation. He's saying if, if, if people are, in, if, our, uh, if our presence is intimidating to others, we are not like Jesus, one commentator said. Kids aren't good at deceiving. Have you ever played hide and go seek with a toddler? Like it's, here I am. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're not good at, at deceiving other people, putting up a front. Um, child is held as an ideal, not of innocence or purity, but of humility, of, of, of humility. I was thinking about this, the, the ways of a child and, what personifies like the way of a child? Why would Jesus use this illustration of a lowly child to establish this posture? Children have simple faith. It's not complicated. 
I, I remember, especially when my kids were really little, we, we still pray over them daily, but when they would get hurt, you know, we'd wipe the blood off of their boo-boos and they scrape their knee or something, but we'd pray over them. And it was something ingrained to them that, that um, as they were growing, like they would get hurt, their first response was to come to us and ask us to, to pray for their, for their boo-boo or pray for their, their skin knee or something. But it's this uncomplicated faith. If God's word says this, then I'm gonna do it. If God says this is something that we should value, then I'm gonna do it. It's uncomplicated faith. Simple obedience. Um, as adults, we want to understand God before we obey him generally. And kids, it's like, why do I have to do it? And you're like, because I said so, right? <laughs> Which you never thought you would say as a parent, but then you say it and you're like, well, it kind of fits. Um, Kids are irrationally generous at times. I've noticed some of my kids that like uh, one of their kids uh, in their class will have a birthday and they're like, I want to take like 20 bucks from my piggy bank and give it to them. I'm like, I've never even heard this kid's name before. <laughs> like, why are you going to like empty out stuff and give candy and take a present to everyone in your class? But they just, there's no like regard at holding back. Kids can be irrationally generous, um, not letting ego get in the way. Kids usually don't have a massive ego, but they take up a humble posture. I, I, believe that, I believe that as we get older, one of the reasons that we lose our sense of curiosity and wonder and awe is because our pride doesn't allow us to ask questions of curiosity. Because we live in a world where we have to know the answer. And, and God says, Jesus says that the posture is to come to him like a little child, full of questions, full of, I'm not sure how this works. How does this operate? Um, he said, whoever humbles himself like a child. I, I love how uh, first, or sorry, uh, second Philippians says this. Uh, so second Philippians? Philippians 2. Let's put the two where it belongs. Uh, I'm actually going to start in verse 9. I'm going to go backwards because we're going to see an establishment of something. Verse 9 says, therefore... God exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Um, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue, tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's saying that Jesus has all power, all dominion, like we just sang about. That therefore, so what, what, what is he talking about before that? Verse six, it says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God to be something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a very servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus walked with humility even in his death. He submitted himself to the Father's will. And therefore, God exalted him. You see that? The greatness is not in power and position, but it's in humility, the posture of a servant, the posture of a child. Kids don't have pretense. I realize that, that as, as humans, we tend to move towards significance, right? If, if, if a famous football player walked in the doors right now, people would be like, let's get around that person. We tend to move towards significance, but as we watch the, the life and read the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus moved to show and signify significance. He moved to others who were the lowly to, to, to show, hey, no, this is significant. He pulled the child in and said, this is significant. We should take up his posture. One 
commentator said that the Pharisees were like doctors who wanted to avoid all contact with sick people. Of course they wished that sick people would become healthy, but they wouldn't risk getting infected themselves. Let us not be people who love at an arm's length. Let us be people who are willing to take up the posture like Jesus modeled for us of a servant. The second truth is that we have a responsibility to care, protect, and value like Jesus did. We have a responsibility to care, protect, and value like Jesus did. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip ahead just a little bit, but Jesus is talking about children, right? And then he, he doubles down right after that. And he talks about this idea of, of not prohibiting children from coming to him, but, but anyone who causes a little one to stumble, it's better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and to be thrown into the water than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. These, these children or, or even believers you could, you could put in that. And then he talks about uh, children again and uses the, the idea of the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep to go after the one, revealing the heart of the father, right? That the father would leave the 99 safe, accounted for sheep to go after the one stray, the one wandering one. And so you would think Jesus has just talked three different times in a row about the importance of little ones. So you would think the disciples get it by this point, right? Now, I'm always encouraged because I put myself in the disciples' shoes and I'm like, no, they don't get it. We're stubborn. Um, just like, I, I love this uh, earlier, we have the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of 4,000, and then they get on a the boat. They're like, oh, we forgot bread. They're right. And Jesus is like, are you not listening? Like he's patient and he's gracious. And so you would think that they would understand this. So flip ahead, Matthew 19 uh, in verse 13. Jesus has talked about the importance of children. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Really? He's made it abundantly clear. He even just said, don't prohibit the children from coming to me. And they're, they're rebuking them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went away from there. What, is this, what does this mean for us? It means that we, as a church, as a people, have to do whatever it takes to help reach the next generation. That we have to value the things and the people that Jesus valued. Um, that's why children and student ministry are so important here. Um, I saw this stat, Barna Research, uh, massive research done, says that 94% of adults who put their faith in Jesus did so before the age of 18. 94% of people who come to faith. That means that what happens here on a Sunday morning to try to reach the 6% that is over the age of 16, is that's 6%. Meaning that 94% of people who come to faith, the investment we need to make is, is before they're 18. I, I love that we have a heart. We don't just say that kids are important, that students are important, that we actually model that. That we have a responsibility to care, to shepherd. So if you serve in those, I just want to commend you. I want to thank you. If you invest into the next generation in one way, shape, or form or another. And if you don't, shameless plug here. I can say it because I'm going back to Greenville next week. Get involved. Do something. 
God has given you talents, gifts, and abilities, every single person. And he expects a return on that investment. God expects us to steward the resources and the opportunities that he's given us. Invest in the next generation. Hang out with, with teenagers. Look, if you don't love teenagers, that's fine, right? Well, I did student ministry for, for a good while, and I was like, if, if you can tolerate teenagers, that's what I'm looking for, right? If you love Jesus and can tolerate teenagers, that's a beautiful mix, okay? Um, but like following and loving Jesus is primary. But like, be honest, that's how I got involved. That's the reason I'm in ministry is because I started volunteering in kids' ministry. Because I was like, I guess I can hang out with kids. You just throw them around and beat them up and then send them back to their parents, you know, and tell them Jesus loves them. <laughs> Granted, we have a much better children's program than that right now. <laughs> but if Jesus says, hey, this is, this is so important, this is something that we should value, that we should do whatever we can to take out the hindrances and the, the stumbling blocks that cause kids and cause little ones from coming to him, we're not babysitting back there. We're introducing them to the king of the universe. This is, this is not just life-changing. It's eternity-changing. And so we as a, we as a church, we, we have to put our money where our mouth is, really. That we have to invest into the next generation. So if you want to get involved serving, uh, stop by Connections on your way out. Uh, Liz or Amanda, somebody will talk to you. But do that. Um, all right, and lastly, number three is that in the kingdom, we don't compete, we follow the king. That in the kingdom, we don't compete, we follow the king. Now I admit, I can be uh, competitive at times. Um, I mean, if you're gonna play a game just for fun, like what's the point? Like I'm one of those people? Like there's, there's winners and there's losers, right? Um, but I just like playing for fun. It's, it's okay, but um, I'm the type that I don't let my kids win games. Call it good parenting, call it bad parenting, whatever you want. I, I, like, I'm like, if they're gonna win, they've gotta earn it, you know? That's just, that's kind of the way we go. Now, maybe when they're little, but like I've always been that way. Like if there's a competition, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about it. Like I remember in fifth grade, uh, we had to, to sell wrapping paper, Sally Foster wrapping paper. Do you remember that? Is anyone else? okay. Uh, I thought it was, but like they send you door to door throughout your neighborhood. And this was back in the day when you went through the neighborhood walking. Your mom didn't drive you. They didn't sell it for you at their work. You went door to door for hours on end to sell stuff for like, I don't know, for the PTA stickers. I don't know what we did it for, but we did it. But I remember they said, hey, there's prizes for those that sell the most. And I said, it is on like Donkey Kong. And so I went door to door and I, I like did everything I could because I heard that even third place was $50. So as like, this was a while ago, okay? And I was like, that's a lot of money. So I did, I got third place in my whole school of selling the most wrapping paper. And then at the end, they're like, here's your $50 savings bond. <laughs> Which is a bait and switch, okay? That thing is still not fully matured, I'm sure. It's still collecting interest. But I was like, what a, but I was like, it's, it's something competitive. Like we're, we are competitive. We live in a competitive world. Like you gotta compete, you gotta climb up the ladder, you gotta be the best because like, you know, you, you, you just have to. I saw this that was shocking. Generation Alpha, 64% of them would rather be a YouTube or social media influencer 
than the United States president. Now granted, I'm like, I don't know if I would wanna be president, but meaning 64% of this generation thinks that greatness is having a bunch of followers watching you get ready in the morning. <laughs> is watching you talk about the food that you just ate. There's a generation that's growing up that says what, what we see as important, what we see as the greatest, is if you just have enough likes and subscribers and enough people following your every move. That's so countercultural from the kingdom that Jesus establishes. That it's not, it's not the who's in front that's the greatest. It's actually who willingly humbles themselves to be last. Underline in your Bible, just going through Matthew, how many times it says the first shall be last. It's not just a saying, it's a principle. It's a posture that we are to take up. So let's jump ahead, our last passage of scripture, uh, Matthew 20. We're gonna start in verse 20. Hard-headed disciples, I'm in their boat. You would think, not actual boat, they're not in the boat this time. Um, but they're, they're, this question comes up again. Again, right? Verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked him for a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Right? She's, now this is either, some, some, some believe that they were, they were talking about it and they kind of sent their mom to ask so they didn't kind of get the heat from it. But they're, they're, their mom is asking for them to ride shotgun in the kingdom. Like, let us be at the positions of power and authority, at the right and at the left of the king. Verse 22, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard this, they were indignant with the other two brothers. They're like, he, they asked first. They're upset. They're like, I think there was a little bit of selfish motive in this because they're like, we should have thought of this first. We should have found our mom and sent her in there to ask. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying this, this idea is, is, is upside down. You have to put aside all of the cultural context, all of the context that just because you, you walk around in your religious robes doesn't mean you're at the place of importance. But the greatest is those who walk as a servant, those who posture themselves, those who go to the least of these. I saw this story a couple of weeks ago of a, of a guy named David Nasser. Uh, I got his picture up here. Uh, he was born in Iran. Um, his family were Muslim. Um, he grew up during the um, Iranian Revolution during the 70s and 80s. His dad was a leader in the Iranian military. And they had life uh, death threats over them. They, they witnessed people be brutally attacked and murdered. 
And so in desperation, they were able to flee the country, to live in Europe for a while before finally settling in the United States. And as an Iranian immigrant living in Texas um, during that time period, he just didn't fit in. He was kind of ostracized, was picked on, was bullied, didn't really get along until finally like in high school, he, he met a group of friends. But he got to this intersection after graduation, all of his friends went off to college except for some other people that were just kind of uh, not walking down the right path. And he's like, man, I feel lost, I feel hopeless, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. And the, uh, the one guy that were, were into drugs, he's like, why don't we go to church? And he's like, look, you don't understand. My, my family, they're, they're devout Muslims. Um, I, I, I can never go to church, but I'll ask. Out of respect, I have to ask my dad if I can go first. What he didn't know is that um, his dad owned a restaurant. And one day during a massive lunch rush, uh, they were incredibly short-staffed. And at one of the tables from a nearby church was a worship pastor and some other people in the church. And instead of complaining about the slow service, instead of complaining because there was only a couple of people helping, they did something crazy. They, they got up in the middle of the lunch rush, they put on aprons, and they started to wait on tables. And then the next day came and these same men from the church showed up. They started bussing tables, they started washing dishes, they started taking orders. They started just helping out this man. And so the worship pastor went to the, the dad who owned the restaurant and invited him to choir practice. And the dad kind of felt guilty. He's like, well, I gotta go now. You know, they've been sitting here serving in the restaurant. And his dad went to choir practice that night and he, he, he talked to him in front of the whole group. He says, hey, everyone who's in this choir has to sign up on this sheet to volunteer in this man's restaurant for the next two weeks. And he was just blown away. He's like, these people don't know me. He, he went from this, this radical hostility in Iran to now he is met with this radical hospitality. And so he comes to his dad, not knowing that story, he comes to his dad and asks his dad if he can go to church. And his dad said, well, what church? And it just so happened to be the church where these people have been serving from. And so he went to a youth rally that night and, and he's like just confused. And the next night, uh, Monday night, 17 other teenagers show up at his house and, and talk to him about the gospel. They tell him about the love of Jesus and, and, and he doesn't say yes. And week after week, he's going to, to youth services. He's going to Sunday mornings. Every Monday night, these teenagers are showing up at his house and telling him the gospel. And he, he goes to youth one night and they give a presentation of the gospel. He's like, this is just too much. I just can't handle it. He goes home, grabs the student Bible that he was given. He douses it with lighter fluid, goes to set it on fire, but can't find a match anywhere. And one last desperation of attempt, he flips open the Bible and he reads the story of where Jesus calls Peter to walk out on the water. He understands the aspect of faith and he surrenders. And that night he led himself to put his faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And, and then he was kicked out of his home. Because <laughs> his, his family was like, how, how could you do this? But over the next five years, every single one of his siblings, his mom, and then his dad came to faith in Jesus. And now this man preaches, he writes books, he ministers to over 700,000 people a year. What was the domino that started it all? It was a group of people that said, I'm not too important to wait on tables. It was a group of people that said, you know what? 
Here's a situation in which we can humble ourselves and become servants, not knowing the end result. God works through those that humble themselves. Think about it. last week, we, we got to take communion together, the Lord's Supper. Everyone at that table had clean feet because of Jesus. The God of the universe, God who stepped out of heaven, who, who walked this earth perfectly, the last night, the night that he would be betrayed by these very people, took off his outer garments and washed their feet. Jesus didn't just say it, he modeled it with every step. He, he spoke it with every breath. And as a people, if we're going to value what Jesus values, if we're going to do the things that Jesus says to do, then we have to take up the same posture of a servant. What does that look like for us? One of our values here at the church is that we can be found in the lowest place. Meaning that there is nothing beneath me. That there is no job that I'm too important for, too, I'm overqualified for, but nothing is beneath me. So a couple of questions for us to reflect on as we seek to serve others. Here's one, when was the last time that you did something you really didn't wanna do, but you did it to be a servant? That one hurts, I'll be honest with you. When, when was the last time that you did something that you really didn't wanna do, but knowing that it was the, the way of a servant? knowing it was a way to show hospitality to someone in need, knowing it was a, the way of, of doing something to establish God's love. And here's, these things rarely happen when it's convenient, being honest with you. Rarely is it you make an extra lasagna and you're like, oh, somebody's sick. Here, let me just walk it over here. Usually it's, it's, it's when it's inconvenient. We show love to other people. How can I embrace the lowest place? Continually, repeatedly, without something in return. And lastly is, where do I need to humble myself? It's a real, real like gut check question. Have I been walking in a posture in my life where either my pride has allowed me to have a posture of wonder and awe like a child? Or has my ego and my pride gotten me to a place where I say I, I'm, I'm too busy for that? that working with kids or investing or, or into the next generation or, or serving other people is just not, I've, I've, got, I've got a really important job or important role that I, I can't do that. May I just encourage you to look at the life of Jesus. The word who became flesh humbled himself. So church, will you, will you close in prayer with me? Father, I thank you God, I thank you that you didn't come and lord over others. Jesus, as you walked, you didn't, you didn't go to the important or the prestigious, but continually you went to the ostracized. You went to the broken. 
You went to the sick. You went to the children. You went to the sinners. You went to the dejected. You went to the least of these and you served and you loved. Oh God, may we be a people who walk with humility, who walk with the posture of a servant, who invest into children and teenagers, who invest into the next generation, God. So Lord, if there's areas in which we need to humble ourselves, Lord, I I pray that Lord, that you would bring those to light. Lord, if there's opportunities that we continue to pass up upon, Lord, may your Holy Spirit stir us to obedience in those moments. Not knowing what you could do with just one moment of serving tables, one moment of loving someone, one moment of stopping at the register to to ask how someone's doing, not knowing how much just a handout would be or a hot meal would be to someone. But Lord, let us be your hands and feet to be salt, to be light, giving you all of the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Church, we love you. As always, our prayer team will be down in front. We'd love to pray with you. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome week. God bless you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.